Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for tuning in. If the sound sounds just a little different to you today, I'm recording from a little bit of a remote location, just trying to make it work. I don't have my regular microphone with me, but I'm so glad to share the next few minutes with you today. I really want to see you thrive and succeed in your relationship with Jesus Christ. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say that we are learning how to live as God's people, reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. Well, there's a story that goes like this. It's about a teenager, and I guess it could be any teenager. I think you will catch what's happening here, but the story goes like this. There's a teenager who lost an expensive contact lens while playing basketball on the driveway. He searched and searched, but could not find the lost contact lens. He told his mother about it and shared that he had searched. He looked everywhere he thought he could, just couldn't find it, so the lens was simply lost for good. Well, his mom went out to the driveway and found the lost contact lens in less than 15 minutes. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know that I'd want to wear that contact lens again. But the point was this. The son asked, Mom, how did you do that? I looked everywhere and could not find it. And the mother responded, Son, you were looking for a lost contact lens. I was looking for $200. Ah, urgency made the difference. Understanding the cost of something or or the value of something, of what is at stake, can make all the difference in the world. Our text today is Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, and it tells us of the importance of loving our neighbor, of putting sin off of our lives, getting rid of it altogether, and then putting on Jesus. All three of these are critical tasks for the Christian, yet all three are easier said than done. And in the center of our text is a warning. Wake up from your slumber. Salvation is nearer to you now than when you first believe. And so it's a warning. Don't fall asleep. You can miss the dawn. Well, how do you fall asleep in the Christian faith? Here's a few reasons, a few ways we can fall asleep in the Christian faith. First is if we have a lack of urgency. I need you to make every effort you possibly can to comprehend the seriousness of salvation. It is a wonderful gift to be enjoyed. It should thrill you to be able to have access to heaven, to be able to have access to the throne room of God. And it's also a rescue from eternal death, and so that should bring you joy. We should have a sense of urgency in understanding that. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, God is telling Ezekiel to go and to preach, to confront Israel with the seriousness of their sin. And it's not that God is threatening Israel. He wants them to gain a sense of urgency of their position. And so the verse reads like this, Ezekiel thirty-three eleven says, Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? God wanted them to gain a sense of urgency for what was happening. So, a lack of urgency can be one reason why we fall asleep 
in our faith. But another reason I want to mention today is distraction. We can become distracted in all kinds of ways in our culture. There are two that I really want to bring to your attention. First, you can distract yourself by focusing on the wrong areas of importance. We can major in the minors. There are many issues in life that feel important and indeed are important, but don't focus so hard on everything that you miss what is most important. Funny little story here. There is a man who had a beautiful blonde or yellow Labrador retriever. It was an incredible hunting dog. This dog could find any fallen bird and carry it back in its mouth without even as much as ruffling a feather. One day the man took his dog hunting. He hid among the reeds by a pond until a flock of ducks flew overhead. Carefully aiming his gun, the hunter calmly squeezed the trigger and shot a duck. The dog lurched forward to find it. To the amazement of the hunter, the dog ran across the top of the pond, barely making a ripple. Lifting the duck with with its mouth, it ran back across the top of the water and plunked the duck at his master's feet. Knowing that no one would believe him, the man decided to bring a friend along the next day so that he could witness the dog's amazing ability. The next day, as the hunter, a friend, and the dog waited for the ducks in the cold early that morning, a, a flock flew overhead. Both hunters aimed and shot, and as the duck fell out of the sky, the dog bounded after it, running across the top of the pond, barely making a ripple. When the dog returned with the duck, the master of the dog smiled, turned to his friend, and said, Did you see that? And the man replied, Yeah, that dog you're so proud of can't even swim. I know, I know it's a silly story. But in the character of the story, of what we're trying to get at, the character is so fixated on the dog not swimming that they miss the dog walking on water. And in the same way, you and I, we can let our checklist of how things are supposed to be prevent us from seeing the miracle that God is doing in our lives. Care about the minor issues, but don't get trapped in the minor issues that you miss the miracles that God is doing. So we can fall asleep by getting distracted over the wrong details. But the other way we can get distracted is by taking on too much. One commentator was writing saying, Our culture puts us to sleep by overstimulation. We need to hear more, know more, do more, produce more. The urgency of salvation is replaced by the urgency of everything else. This constant stimulation robs you of your ability to slow down and reflect, to pray, and it robs you of your ability to be aware of God at work around you. Our culture is a slave to the clock. We race the clock trying to build a life for ourselves, and in the process, we lose the life that God has designed for us. So we're called to slow down, at least not to be put to sleep by overstimulation. So we need to wake up and be aware. Urgency makes the difference. You must wake up to God if you want to love your neighbor rightly. You must wake up to God if you want victory in being done with sin, putting sin off, if there's something you're wrestling with. 
And you need to wake up to God if you want to put on Jesus and represent him well. So let's go ahead and finally go to Romans chapter 13 and read verses 8 through 14. And I think you'll hear that call to love our neighbor. You'll hear about putting off the deeds of darkness. You'll hear about putting on Christ, clothing yourself in Christ. And you'll hear that call to wake up. So let's go to verse 8 and read the text. Romans 13, beginning in verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover and covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up by this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and in jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Wake up. The urgency of this text desires for you to love your neighbor well, to put off sin, to take off sin, to be done with it, and to put on Jesus. So I want to talk about those three ideas here for a little bit. We're going to start with loving your neighbor. And I know loving your neighbor is becoming a more and more challenging idea to preach on. Not because it's bad to love your neighbor. We we should love our neighbor. I think most people agree with that. But love has been hijacked in our world today. Love has become a word that really is more about demanding approval. But love does not demand. Love offers redemption. And I also have to admit, we're in times, and it's never been easy, but we're in times right now where loving your neighbors, loving others, is not as easy as it used to be. It's far easier to think nothing of your neighbor, to be apathetic, or to harbor frustration with your neighbor. It's far more human of us to see our neighbor as a source of the problem. It's their poor decisions. It's their poor morals that are jeopardizing my world and my happiness. If they, you know, hear that word they instead of us, if they would fix themselves, I would be happier and my world would be holier. Instead, our attitude should be to bring holiness into our neighbor's orbit. Romans 13 gives us three handholds by which to grab on to the sort of love that God wants us to share with others. And the first one is this. He says, love is an unpayable debt. Loving your neighbor means taking on a debt that you can never finish paying. That might be quite overwhelming to hear that. But in Romans, Paul uses the word debt quite a few times to get our attention. It's in Romans 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 14, where Paul talks about his obligation, his debt to share the gospel. He says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. He's talking about sharing the gospel there, and that obligation is, means that it is his responsibility, his debt to pay. 
Romans 8.12, it talks about a debt we have to the Holy Spirit. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Obligation there is the English translation of that being indebtedness. Brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh, but to live according to the Holy Spirit. Romans 13.6 talks about our debt to the state. Now, it doesn't use the word obligation, at least not in English, but it's there. It says, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. We owe them a tax, a debt to them for the job they do. And now in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, we're told to pay all debts except for the one that cannot be paid off. It's a continual paying that we must do. It's love. As long as we love, we are never to stop. Uh, Why is love a debt we can never pay off? Well, John Stott describes this debt in this way. He says, we can never stop loving someone and say, I have loved enough. Love is a continual action. You must always do it. If you're going to love someone well, you will never stop. So, it's an unpayable debt. At least, it's a debt that never goes away. We're to keep loving, keep loving, keep loving. Second thing about love. As Paul writes and tells us that love fulfills the law. We may not ever finish paying the debt of love, but by loving our neighbor, we fulfill the law. And that is good news. God's law is important, and it's a gift to us. But the function of the law is not to make us righteous. It can't. The law is supposed to show us our need for righteousness. It shows us our sin. In Galatians, the law is called our guardian, our custodian, at least until Jesus comes along and he dies for our sins. It's there in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 and 25. Um, We're also told that the law is not the solution to sin. It's just a custodian. The law makes the problem of sin worse, actually. It's there in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. It says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known about coveting, what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. So somehow, this wonderful gift from God strengthens makes worse our propensity to sin because we're made aware of sin. And so now that desire rises up in us. Now the law is holy. Romans chapter 7 verse 12 says, So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. But the law, the problem is the law cannot make us righteous. We cannot hope to behave well enough to fulfill the law on our own. It is by the love of Jesus that we are made righteous. It's by what he did upon the cross and rising from the grave, grave, paying for our sins. It is in Christ Jesus that we are made righteous, and it is in Christ Jesus that the law is fulfilled. And now we have the opportunity to love others as Christ loved us and do what we could never do before. We could never become righteous because of the, by obeying the law, but now in the righteousness that Christ brings to us, we can obey the law truly and well. Something else that Paul writes about love. He says, love does no harm to others. The essence of love 
is to seek and serve our neighbor's highest good. We need to know that and understand that. You know, there's several words in the Bible for love, but the word for godly love, which is described here in Romans 13, is agape. And agape is a type of love that can't be turned towards yourself. You can't, it's not a self-love. It's not a self-adoration. It's not selfish in any way. Agape love only ever goes out away from you to others. So, you can't harm people with it. You have to serve people with it. We usually harm people out of our selfishness, out of, out of a sinful desire in us. But godly love must always go out to others and to bless others. Beware, please, of simple love. Many will say, you know what, love is enough. Or they'll use a phrase like, nothing but love. And the Beatles sang, love is all you need. The problem is our society strips the power out of love. Our society claims that love has its own moral compass. It's enough on its own to discern intuitively what is right for every situation. And that's a problem because love doesn't work that way. And so again, I want to return to John Stott who points out that Paul did not write that love is the end of the law. Instead, he wrote that love is the fulfillment of the law. And that's important. And so John Stott says, Love and law need each other. At least in our case, as Christians. Love and law need each other. Love needs law for its direction, to know how to love. And law needs love for its inspiration, so that it is kind and just. Most people simply think that love means approval. That you will love them if you will tell them everything they do and desire is okay. But that's not love. Love instead wants the best for others. Love wants redemption for others. And the Christian is called to love others the way that Jesus loves them. That is, that we're to be selfish, selfless, sorry, and sacrificial and redemptive. So Romans 13 tells us to love one another. It's a high calling. But it also asks us to be finished with deeds of darkness. An interesting thing about Romans 13, verses 13 and 14, that is the text that St. Augustine, one of the great church fathers, read that led him to his conversion to Christianity. It was one day while he was in Milan, he heard a voice of a child coming up over the wall, singing words, take up and read. Obviously it wasn't in English, but he heard the words. And so Augustine, hearing those words, decided to pick up the nearest scroll. It was at his feet, and it happened to be the letter to the Romans. It was chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, and he read those words, and it led him to a radical change away from a life of paganism and abandoning all of those dark deeds, and then he pursued living for Christ. It's a call to stop indulging yourself with sin and sinful desire. Now, yeah, I think we all know it's more enjoyable in the short term to indulge sin. The rewards of sin seem much more tangible and immediate, but the reality is that sin has no real reward at all. In fact, it's death. It's easy to convince yourself that your sins aren't that bad, but that's very dangerous. I've seen many a person who has convinced themselves that they are that their own sin is more noble and holy than it really is, and they've also convinced themselves that God is more ordinary and flawed than he really is. 
That works until you stand before the throne of judgment, and then we will realize how badly we had things mixed up. This day, resolve to no longer toy with sin. Do not indulge your temptations. We are not honest with ourselves when we pursue our vices and then try to pursue holiness as well. Paul asks us to stop. Stop pursuing the deeds of darkness. And so, you today have something you need to surrender to Jesus, then do it. Give up that deed. Now, thankfully, we have a third and final command, the best one. Put on Jesus Christ. It is a lovely command. Because you can only truly love your neighbor when you have first put on Jesus Christ in your own life. And unless you put on Jesus Christ, you can never put off or be done with the deeds of darkness. So if you want to learn how to conquer and, and be done with the sin you've struggled with your whole life, put on Christ. It starts there and it ends there. Truly putting on Jesus and surrendering to him. If you want to know how to love your neighbor well and in the best way possible, you have to put on Christ. There is no other way. In addition to what we've read here in Romans, Galatians speaks about putting on Jesus. It's Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28 says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We have clothed ourselves in Christ. There's several other scriptures in the Bible that describe putting on what is good. I want to share a passage from Colossians 3. And while it does not say put on Christ, I think you can hear in the words what it looks like to be clothed in Christ. So hear Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I think you can hear echoes of Romans 13 there in Colossians 3. Janet Williams writes about putting on Jesus, and she says this, Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ involves an agony of putting off the self first. And even once we've done it, we will have to redo it continually, because it does take a continual surrender to say, Lord, I am getting rid of, I am putting down, I am no longer going to champion indulging the sin of my life. That stuff I love so much. And it does us no good to try to put on Jesus if we're unwilling to let go of our sin. We've got to surrender it to him and confess it to him and let him be Lord. Because that's what it means to put on Jesus Christ. We put on Jesus Christ when we submit to his sovereignty and call him Lord. We put on Christ when we become sacrificial as Christ is. We are to love Jesus Jesus' way. We're to love the way that he loves, and that's a way of redemption, and that's namely through sacrificing ourselves to redeem others, to help others, to bless others, to point others to Jesus. What does it mean to put on Jesus Christ? It means that we consider ourselves sacred or holy, that we are to live live separate and set apart for God rather than for our own whims. 
One last thing I'd say about putting on Jesus is when we do that, we become an ambassador of Jesus. I always think, and my wife Betsy agrees, you can tell a lot about a person by the bumper stickers on their car, or at least maybe we're just guilty, but when we see bumper stickers, we go, okay, here's what we can tell about these people. We can figure out the races they've run, because there's a lot of stickers that talk about the distance of races they've run. You can see the members of their family, if you've got like the, the father and the mother and then all the little kids and maybe the dog and the cat on the bumper sticker there. You can tell what music they like because they have concert stickers. I sometimes wonder what people think of cars with Christian bumper stickers. And those cars and those drivers behave badly in traffic. They speed, they weave on the highway, they cut people off. A little sticker can say a lot. And your actions that accompany that sticker say even more. That's just bumper sticker ambassadorship as Christians. But we wear Christ, and so whenever anyone looks at us, they are to see Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, some of you might be thinking that you don't want to be an ambassador. I get that. It's a lot of responsibility, but every Christian is an ambassador of Jesus. We are all saved by him. If you're a Christian, you have you call him your Lord, and we are all to put on Christ. And so our lives will become what the world thinks of Jesus. At least our lives should shape the opinions of those around us about who Jesus is. So we should make every effort to be a good ambassador for Jesus. This year I've spoken much about holiness from the Christian holiness as a regular decision to be set apart for God uh, for all kinds of reasons we've talked about holiness. But Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, tells us at least some of what that holiness looks like. It says that you will love one another. You will remain alert and awake in Christ. You will drop once and for all the deeds of darkness and you will put on Jesus Christ. And those actions are a part of being holy and set apart for him. Are you doing these? Let's pray. Lord, wake up your church. Help us to love others and love them as Jesus loves others. Holy Spirit, show us the ways we have harmed others. And convict us to change our ways so that we will, would love them redemptively. Lord, help us to take seriously the call to put on Christ. That we would always remember that the Christian is an ambassador of Jesus wherever they go, wherever we're seen. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus. <laughs>